It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And the Orioles have won the game. They did it! They did it! They did it! And they're going crazy. They're jumping on each other. One of the most unbelievable finishes you will ever see. Welcome to it, a special edition of Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Life, Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold, and a very special guest today, Jeff, uh, the man that runs the Orioles uh, system, big leagues, minor leagues, international, the big kahuna, as they say, Mike Elias, the general manager with us for the first time. We're making Orioles Magic, the podcast history today, Jeff. We're going outside a little bit, but I'm super excited for this conversation because Mike, in addition to, to running the draft with the Orioles, this was what he did when he was in Houston. And then he had a lot of experience doing that as a scout when he was with St. Louis, too. So he has a, a breadth of knowledge when it comes to these different elements. And right now, every Orioles fan is, is glued to the draft, more so probably because we, we haven't had baseball start yet. We haven't had spring training to uh, begin yet. So everybody is locked into this draft, which has... Uh, become the, the Orioles Super Bowl, at least over the course of these first two years uh, with Mike Elias running everything. Obviously, the draft is gigantic for every organization, every sport. When you're in the middle of a rebuild, it's hope. It's opportunity. When you're picking at two overall, I mean, these are magic moments, and you cannot fail. You cannot lose. Now, you don't have to hit a home run with every pick here, but you, you got to hit on that two. And it's not just two this year for the Orioles. It's two thirty and 39, a part of a truncated draft, the Orioles only have six picks, but they're heavy early. And uh, it's like having two first-round picks, essentially. I mean, to go two and 30. And uh, you, you got to make it work right now. And that's why Mike Elias is here. So uh, after drafting Adley number one last year, and a part of a draft they like overall, obviously Orioles getting very busy internationally. Uh, I've been, and you know the system very well, Jeff. Uh, I think it's an undervalued and underrated system that's probably starting to get some recognition and it's getting there. But after this draft, when you were, if you were to restack this top 10, uh, it's going to be among, I think the five, six, seven best minor league systems in baseball on pure talent. I mean, you're going to have Adley and a number two pick here to go along with Hall and Rodriguez and Mountcastle. Uh, it's going to start looking some, I uh, also not just that top five or 10, but even uh, going down to 15 and 20 with some depth. And that's what this draft has, is, is the death aspect. I think last year it was pretty clear cut that Rutschman was going to be the number one overall pick. I mean, you could ask pretty much any expert, and that's what all of them are going to tell you. But when, when you take a look at this year's draft, the thing that stands out is that the death, especially at the college level, is extremely strong. Um, listening to, to someone talk about it last week, I'd say probably the, the death as far as the, the high school picks go you know probably around average but there's just so much from a, a college perspective and the Orioles you know they went with Adley Rutschman last year and just because of where it is and, and kind of what Mike talked about in, in our in our conversation 
was that because of, of where you look at the strength of it, it it's probably likely that you're going to see a, a college player that the Orioles will, will take early on. And, and then once you, you move farther down, you'll have to see, but, but either way, a lot of great players in this year's draft uh, more so than, than there were last year. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to Orioles general manager, Michael Elias. And joining us right now on Orioles Magic, the podcast, a special draft edition, is the Orioles general manager, Mike Elias. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing well. So uh, let's talk about this draft uh, around the corner right now. You've been at this a long time, second one with the Orioles, but uh, you've been uh, doing this for, for most of your professional life and preparing for the draft, uh, given the situation uh, that we've been in now for, for several months. How bizarre has the preparation been? Yeah, it's it's a weird one. I mean, this is going to be a, a historic event. I hope we never have to do it like this again. Um, uh, you know, we've been preparing remotely now uh, since the middle of March. There's been no baseball to watch since the middle of March. So it was kind of like pencils down for the scouts in the middle of March. Um, we made the decision that we don't know what's going to happen between now and the draft. So let's just prepare as if um, we're done. And that's what we, we did. And it turns out that that has been the case. So it's been all uh, remote, um, supplementing with video, supplementing with, with data, which we have a lot of now. And fortunately for us, we had taken some steps to gear our scouting process and our scouting department uh, towards uh, less reliance on in-person looks and more supplementation with video and data. So now that we did, we did that, I think we're in pretty good shape to handle this, but it's a, it's been strange and it's not as, for me, it's not as fun as getting into a draft room with a bunch of scouts and kind of locking yourselves into a room for a week, but, but we're making it work. You've already seen one major league draft go down this way. Have you or Sig or anybody else with the Orioles talk to the Ravens about their experience doing a draft this way? Yeah, we, uh, both of us did. And, and Brad Selick, uh, who runs our scouting department, uh, reached out to a couple other NFL teams as well. But yeah, we talked to the Ravens. Um, you know, got some tips on kind of the, the IT uh, fail safes that you need to set up and, and uh, you know, have video lines and who you want on the line and, and all of that. Um, sounded like it went, went pretty smoothly for them. And I think, you know, our draft will be somewhat similar this year in that it's a five round draft. So it's not like we're running a, our 40 round draft like we typically do where it gets real rapid fire. So hopefully it'll go as smoothly as the NFL's. Mike, I, if I recall correctly, you did uh, have a lot of personal conversations last year with the potential number one picks. Can you do any of that right now? And things like getting just health records right now, how difficult is all this? So fortunately for me, we got the uh, personal meetings out of the way in the winter um, before the uh, coronavirus um, hit, before the season started. And so um, 90% of our meetings for the number two pick candidates were done over the winter. So we kind of had those in our back pocket. Um, we have done some more over Zoom, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, the guys that we hadn't met with. And, and you know, that's actually gone pretty, pretty well and pretty easily. And, you know, it might be something that, that we take into the, into the future once this is over, because it was, um, you know, it, it worked pretty well. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the medical files, all that stuff, the league has really uh, taken over a lot of that in the last couple of years, fortunately. So it's not as chaotic as you might imagine. And I think it's going to go pretty well. 
taking aside the fact that the players have to be what they are to be a number two overall pick, give me a characteristic or two aside from the way that they play that you really want to see when you're sitting down with these players one-on-one to let them know that they're a good fit for the Orioles. Yeah, when we when we have meetings um, with players, I think the thing that strikes you is, um, you know, they're 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 when you're meeting with a guy for the number one or the number two pick, you know, they're probably going to go in the first five or six picks of the draft, no matter what. And in order to do that, you know, they're usually pretty special people to have gotten to that point. And so they they we use the term makeup. Um, it comes in different shapes and sizes, and guys will have certain areas where they really shine and impress you. Um, and it's always a little bit different person to person, but they almost all have a very impressive aspect of their background or very impressive quality. So um, when we have these meetings, it's not necessarily trying to suss out good or bad uh, fits. It's just getting a fuller picture of um, who the guy is, how he got to this point, where he thinks he's going. Mike, uh, when, when you look at this draft purely as just, you know, obviously the Orioles picking at 2, 30, and 39, but just the, in your experience, the depth of this draft, particularly uh, the first round aspect of it, what do you see? Actually, it's, I mean, I've read this, but it seems really good. It's kind of a shame we're having to cut it off after five rounds because I think this is a better than average draft class. Because it's a five-round draft, is it strictly about sticking to best player available and then maybe going on $20,000 signees where you draft more for, you go more for need? Or do you start taking need stuff into account in that five-round period? No, definitely not. Um, Usually the need uh, part of the draft, like filling out your minor league system, um, going for depth in your minor league system, that usually doesn't come until around the 15th or 16th round uh, in a normal year. So we won't get anywhere close to that this year. So we're going to be all um, going for the best prospects that we can sign with the money that we have at each of those picks. And then after the draft with this new $20,000 free agency, uh, we'll see what we'll sign as many prospects as we're able to, but I, I just don't know how the players are going to um, behave in that, in that um, scenario. We'll, we'll just have to see. Mike, uh, sticking to the point about best available and, and baseball, it's you know often said, uh, especially in the first part, you know that's what you do. You don't really look at your organizational needs. But do you ever assess in a draft, say, you know, we're pretty stocked in pitching right now. We're, we're, we're looking good at first base, whatever it might be. But here's a player. Do you, can you edge it that way if it is an organizational need or is it purely based on potential and talent at that part of the draft? Uh, we try to we try to base it, um, you know, on on just talent. Um, you know, when when I uh, when I was with Houston, um, we had a little bit of a conundrum with uh, we had Carlos Correa in 2015. He was looking really good. He had just debuted in the big leagues, and Bregman and Dansby Swanson were kind of two of our top targets for the number two pick. And it was like, okay, we already have a shortstop look, looking pretty good. But you just don't want to pass on that, and you know it's going to work out ultimately. And and you know for them it did um, with Bregman moving to third base. But I also think you know that that speaks to um, players that uh, play um, in the middle of the diamond, have uh, an array of defensive options. It's a little easier to um, fit them all on one team than maybe you know drafting uh, three first basemen in a row um, three different years. 
Uh, but generally speaking, it's it's just not something where you can pick or choose. Um, the baseball draft is tough, and you're just trying to uh, have a successful pick, even that high. How much are you bringing someone like a Matt Blood or a Chris Holt into this process with you? Because once they go into your minor league system, those are going to be a couple of the people that are going to work with these players. Yeah, a lot. Um, and Chris Holt, who's our, our director of pitching, um, he's very involved with the uh, the pitcher evaluations that we go through in the draft um, and gives us a sense of whether, uh, you know, the player's a good fit for our program in terms of his stuff and his mechanics um, in particular. So he's been very involved. And um, Brad Selick, you know, is running the process and running the draft for us. He's gotten Matt Blood and a lot of our hitting coaches involved in taking a look at guys swings um so our player player development side is very involved and i think that's a big part of having harmony um is when they feel invested in who we pick and who we send to them mike uh, when it when you talk about different draft strategies and you have this bonus pool and, and please explain it or correct me if i'm wrong in any way there, there are different strategies uh you can uh maybe go for someone at two who isn't necessarily one of those guys that everyone's been uh, putting their mocks at one, two, or three, and and maybe save a little there, and then uh, maybe overreach at 30. Uh, how do you weigh that out as you kind of navigate through this draft? Yeah, we're, we're mindful of it, but we're going to have to see. I mean, I, I think that the number two pick is important enough where we're not going to um, do anything to feel like we're bypassing a player that we would have preferred in order to get a guy that's more signable so that we can hopefully spend more money later in the draft. I think when you do that strategy, you've got to feel um, kind of equal or indifferent about your two choices um, or, or you think your guy is secretly the better player, even though um, he's, he's projected to go a little lower in the draft. So um, we'll be taking somebody that we feel is the best pick at number two. And then if we're able to um, leverage that into some better picks later. Great. Um, but it's going to be a little harder this year. I mean, we do have the 30 and 39 pick, which is awesome, but we don't have rounds six through 40 where normally you can kind of spread your money around. Um, so that, you know, it's, it's not guaranteed that that opportunity is going to present itself. I'm not sure if this is taboo or not, but have you, especially if you have the number two overall pick, do you or maybe somebody else with the organization call up somebody from the Tigers and get a better sense as to what they're going to do so that way you can organize the top of your draft board so that way you, you better have a chance as to, to what your, your options are looking like, or is that just not done? No, we, we do. We usually the day of the draft, we'll compare notes. I mean, they're still going through their process, and so it's too early to ask that question now. And um, I mean, I've been as guilty as anybody over the years that sometimes it takes down to the last minute um, to make the pick because you're talking to the players camp and, you know, you got to wait and see how that goes. But um, uh, yeah, we'll usually, we'll usually compare notes with the teams kind of right around us. I mean, everyone's not going to show all their cards, but um, where the, when there's info that can be safely traded, teams will give each other that courtesy. It's come very late to baseball, I feel, in this sort of way. And maybe it's because of uh, the odd period we're in right now. But finally, baseball is spitting out, and the baseball media, a bunch of mock drafts, which I'm very happy about. Are Do you look at that? I mean, clearly, I'm sure you've been asked uh, by the people writing these mock drafts. Uh, do you look at that as, as anything valid or even interesting, or is it just kind of curious to you? 
Totally. Uh, always enjoy them when they come out. I mean, we're sitting here thinking about these players all day long, and it's just fun to read stuff that comes out like it is for fans. So we want to look at that, but there's so many mock drafts now, and a lot of them are really high quality. Some of these reporters have a lot of contacts and are doing a lot of research. It is a little tricky this year because you're not able to kind of scout the scouting traffic from ballpark to ballpark, and, and the scouts themselves have, have some, themselves have a little less gossip. Um, but, um, you know, usually when you look at those as a whole, there are themes that start to emerge and, and we feel that it does reflect, um, you know, the odds pretty well. So we do keep an eye on it. When you get to the very final stages, you know, you're, you're about ready to, you have two, three guys that you're looking at. How many people's opinions are you looking for at that point? Do you just want to select few that are going to help you make that decision and make that pick for number two overall? Or do you want maybe a broad swath of opinions at that point? Yeah, it's, it, you know, we get everyone's opinion who has any type of perspective, but ultimately, um, you know, you, you've got to kind of um, crystallize that and, and boil it down because it's a little overwhelming if you start listening to everybody. And, um, you know, we tend to, um, when it's all said and done, you kind of want to rely on your amateur scouts and your amateur scouting department first and foremost, because this is their specialty um, of uh, getting of mastering that market. But we have experts from player development. We have experts from strength and conditioning and, um, you know, different parts of the baseball operation that weigh in with, with their opinion. Um, and then there's a lot coming in from uh, the medical side. Um, so it's really a lot, lot to boil down. It takes a lot of different experts, um, but you know, ultimately this is uh, this is our amateur department's Super Bowl. So we really rely on their expertise first and foremost. Uh, obviously, we're in the Wild West right now, and how uh, development and everything will change uh, out of this 2020 season. But I, you made the comment last year after the Rutschman pick that basically he fit the club's timeline more than uh, the alternative. Uh, is that still? kind of how you're looking at some of the possibilities here. I, I mean, obviously that means you'd, you'd probably lean a little more college and high school, but uh, is that still kind of your mindset right now when you look at the prospects of the system and how they're moving? Yeah, you know, I don't know that that um, factored in too much with him. Um, you know, he was just the best player uh, for us and for the industry, and we didn't want to, we didn't want to pass it up. Um, you know, I do, I don't think it's any, anyone who's looked at this draft this year, I don't think it's any secret that it's uh uh, very college heavy. So it's looking like we'll probably end up with another college player um, with that number two pick, um, which might fit nicely um, with, with Adley's timeline. Um, and also some of the pitchers that, that, that we have that we already had before I got here, you know, those guys are getting in the double A and, and getting somewhat close, um, you know, to, to the big leagues. So hopefully this, this can all uh, coincide, but um, timeline is not something that that we worry about. You know, when you take a really, really good high school player with the first or second or third pick of the draft, um, they usually fly up through the minor leagues almost as quickly as a as a, um, a college player, believe it or not. So it's not something that we uh, discriminate with too much. Taking a look at, at some of the guys at the very top of the, the draft board this year, when you've seen Austin Martin and you have had an opportunity to, to spend some time with him, what are some things that stand out? 
Well, look, I, I don't, um, you know, like to dive into scouting reports too much prior to the draft, but, um, you know, the names that are out there are, are good names um, and it's a good uh, array of players and, and options. Um, and, um, you know, the, like I was saying earlier, these guys that are being considered up there, they have a lot of positives um, and that's why they're, they're in consideration up there. So um, we're certainly looking at him and have followed him for years as, as we are the, the other candidates, but um, you know, we're nowhere near deciding and uh, it'll be something that, that we'll do there the draft. As far as having these high school and college seasons cut short, I mean, in, in middle March, uh, how much has that impacted? I mean, for, we've read about, uh, you know, I'm not asking you to comment on them, but guys like Emerson Hancock, who, who got up to, I guess, an, I don't know, a bad start. Maybe he was working on something. I mean, who knows? Uh, how much has that factored into your assessment of these guys, uh, whether they're high school or college? I, I do think it's going to have an effect um, where it's going to help the players who have a multi-year track record to point to um, certainly the, the, the college uh, players that have, that have been good for a few years, but also even the high school kids that are kind of high profile that were at all the events over the summer um, that the scouts saw a lot over the summertime. It, it just by it's the nature of what's going on, it's going to help those guys. And it's probably going to hurt the guys that don't have that track record or are what we call uh, pop-up players, meaning, um, they got a lot better all of a sudden this spring because a lot of those guys, especially the ones in the North, if you were, if you weren't in Florida or, or Southern California or something, maybe the area scout saw you and he was really excited about it, but nobody else from the department saw you and you don't have a whole lot of track record. It's just tough. So maybe we'll see. I mean, I think we'll have some departments take some chances on the, on those guys, but it's just, I got to believe that this is going to um, hurt those kids uh, relative to the guys that have, that have uh, been on the radar screen a lot longer. As far as the, the high school players go, when it comes to, to metrics and different things that are available, how much better is it like right now compared to maybe was it maybe what it was when you were in your earlier years in, in St. Louis and Houston? Um, it, you know, the, aside from the metrics and the technology, which are nice, um, I would say the biggest change has been the, um, the expansion of the showcase circuit. Um, we get more at-bats and innings with the high school kids. It's all with wood bats and they're playing against other really, really good high school kids. So um, the more of that that we get, the better. And that has just grown and grown um, until this happened, you know? And, and um, so we really have a ton of comfort um, with what our evaluation is on a high school kid when we get uh, through about October in the calendar leading into their draft year. And then oftentimes in the spring, you just go into see what kind of shape he's in, see if he grew, um, see if he's picked up velocity, if he's a pitcher, you know, it's, it's more um, of a, uh, a finalization of the evaluation rather than the, the main part. So um, like I was saying, I think the guys that have had that big showcase experience, they're probably not gonna get um, altered too much by this abbreviated spring because that's become such a huge part of the high school evaluation process. Mike, I know it's hard to predict, but how active do you hope to be post-draft with some of those 20,000 signs this year? I, you know, as active as possible. I mean, uh, we have a tremendous opportunity here for any, any minor league or any, any player that wants to go pro and uh, go into the minor leagues and become a big league player. And the reason for that is that we're in the middle of a rebuild. Um, we are, 
a team in a market that's going to be relying on homegrown players. We're not going to be one of these teams that's you know, going crazy at the top of the free agent market every year. And we're going to be relying on this pipeline of internal talent to play in Baltimore. So um, this is a, a, a great place you know, for those kids to come play and develop. We've got a first-rate development staff and development program now. Um, a lot of technology, uh, very modern. You saw what happened last year um, with the pitchers that we have. And so we're going to, um, you know, throw the doors open for these guys to come to come sign with us. But, you know, I do think that the, um, the whole setup uh, here is it's going to be challenging. And it, nobody in baseball knows how many of these kids are going to sign and how many will, you know, elect to, to go back to amateur baseball next year, even with the uncertainty that amateur baseball has. So, I'm hopeful that we can, um, you know, sell kids on our opportunity and get some really good players in in the free agent process. And we're definitely going to try. We've got a big effort underway to do that. Yeah, because it's twenty thousand dollars cap for for everybody. You know, what are what are some some selling points to to some guys that you might be looking to bring into the organization in that kind of circumstance? Yeah, like I was saying, I mean, uh, the, the, the fact that we've got a, a cutting edge um, development program in terms of our coaches, the investment that we made in technology, knowing how to use that technology in a, in a data-driven way that's been proven to work, uh, but also there's just so much opportunity within the organization where all eyes are on the minor leagues, and uh, you know, this is a team that's going to be relying on its own homegrown players to uh, furnish players for Baltimore and to sustain um, that roster in Baltimore, it's a much better opportunity coming into our organization than a team, uh, uh, you know, that is, that is more of a, a free agency oriented team. So I can't think of a better place to sign. Last one, Mike, I, you know, everyone's obviously trying to move on the fly here of what's happening with this draft, but I know, and you've said this and everyone in all the sports say, this is kind of a year round process. And for baseball, the summertime's big, uh, for, for the college uh, summer leagues and then obviously these high school showcase events. Uh, the rippling effects of this could be going on for drafts. Uh, I mean, you, you even said you, you were talking to your potential number two pick in the winter uh, of who it could be as far as interviews. Uh, have you even given yourself a chance to think about what the future might hold for, for even getting ready for next year's draft? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're the, the list of um, concerns that this, situation has uh, imparted upon the way baseball is used to operating um, are numerous. Um, but I mean, that's, that's the case for every business in the world. And we're probably pretty far down that, that list when you, when you think about it in the big picture scheme, but yeah, it's um, next year's scouting process is going to be weird one way or another. We're probably not going to have the summer that we're going to be used to. I think we're going to see some, um, displacement in, in amateur programs for budgetary reasons and schedule reasons. So that that's going to be unfortunate. And, um, you know, for our players, our, our, our development guys, um, you know, the, the minor leaguers, the, the reps they get this season, it's not going to be the same. Um, we're going to have strange innings totals from our pitchers that we will, that will bleed into next year. And, you know, there's just going to be a lot of coming out of this is going to take a while to get back to normal. Um, but it is what it is. Michael Elias, Orioles general manager, getting ready for the 2020 draft for the Orioles will be very active early, 2, 30, and 39 among their six picks. Mike, thank you so much. Thank you. 
Well, there you have it. Mike Elias, uh, now just uh, a couple of days away here from the Orioles taking uh, the second overall pick. They almost get their pick of the litter, but they have to wait to see what the Detroit Tigers do at one. And Jeff, to be honest, I know Mike didn't want to get into specifics and scouting reports on, on prospects here, but it was pretty clear to me, unless this is just a big poker game, which it might be, that the Orioles are going college and they're going with a stud and they're not going to, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to take a chance just to maybe play a little strategy game with pick 30. Especially when you have the highest bonus pool money-wise and only five rounds that you're playing with this year, you, you're probably going to, to, to go straight by best player available. And you're going to take that approach for, for the first five rounds. I mean, Mike said it wasn't until later on where you start drafting for need to fill out different holes in your organization. And, and that should still mean great things for the Orioles because depending on who you decide to pick with the number two selection overall, uh, you still have a ton, a ton of depth once you're getting to picks 30 and 39. And it should be really exciting for Orioles fans that with these five picks, and then we'll also have to see how big a players that they are for those $20,000 non-drafted signees uh, to add additional depth to the organization. You know, I meant to ask this to Mike, in a typical draft year, how many guys do you actually sign in those 40 rounds? About, what, 18 to 22, somewhere in that neighborhood for most clubs? I think it sort of depends on the year and what is available and what is out there and what you need. Um, but I think, I think it varies. I, I think it'd be hard to put a, put a number on it. But the one thing we can't put a number on, and, and nobody knows right now, is just how many college players especially like junior years or maybe red shirt juniors that are a little bit older that'll have the opportunity to go back to programs next year because of the NCAA's allowing additional year of right. eligibility to college players next year what is that market going to be like because we know that there are certain schools that are unfortunately going to have to either scale things back or their programs might fold in general. I think Western Carolina, for, for one, don't quote me on that, is, is one that, that had to. And then there are others that, that unfortunately are going to have to make some difficult decisions that affect scholarships and, and, and a bunch of different things as well. So I, I'm not really sure. I don't think anybody truthfully knows right now just, just how rich that, that market is going to be. But I think there's going to be a lot of really good players out there that are go, going to want to start their professional journeys because – Next year, if you're if you're an older player and you don't perform all that well, and there's not as and the draft is not going to be 40 rounds, then some players might just decide to to take what they've done and, and roll the dice now and, and sign and hopefully get to the big leagues. The rippling effects of it at every level of baseball will be seeing this for a long time. And and as Mike said, it's unclear when normalcy in that sense returns. Uh, but I know this. Uh, the Orioles have a, a budding farm system with an opportunity here to uh, really cash in with their six picks, particularly at 2, 30, and 39, uh, to get impact players. This is a good draft. It's a college-heavy draft, which is good in this case because I think there's less ambiguity surrounding uh, some of the top prospects in this draft and uh, because we, we didn't have a high school and college season for the most part. Uh, so these are guys they've been tracking for a long time. I mean, I thought it was fascinating that basically Mike said he wrapped up his interviews with these uh, top prospects in the wintertime. I mean, you know, we're, we're a lot of us get in this now with Torkelson and Martin, although those two guys and, and Hancock and Lacey, those two guys have been out there for some time, but, but they've, they've been zeroing in on pick two here for 12 months. Okay. Let's, let's be very clear. As soon as Adley Rutschman uh, was, was dotted 
they were zeroing in on on who was probably pick, the Orioles would have an opportunity to pick obviously one, two, or three heading into this year. Yeah, and and next year we'll we'll have to see. I mean, we'll we'll have to see how things shake out with the Major League Baseball season this year. But I, I think that the Orioles, it's it's not a stretch to say, will probably have a very good pick during the 2021 season if you look at the way that the alignment would work and you play baseball in in 2020, playing against the AL East and the NL East. Those are the two very best divisions in in baseball. Among the you know that the AL East is the toughest, and then the NL East is is one of the toughest as well. But consider this too, Brett. You know, if if the Super Bowl one for the Orioles is the draft domestically, the international signing period is the the second Super Bowl for this team. And and when you look at prospect lists, a lot of them are coming from that those international ranks. And the Orioles now having a year to help build things up and get all the pieces in place as far as that goes. The international signing period is, is the next crucial period after the first-year player draft for the O's. And, and once again, the organization figures to be very active in, in, in that respect and more players coming from, from that part, which are going to allow the Orioles uh, to hopefully get back to competing sooner rather than later. And competing for a long time to have that steady – streamline of players and prospects all right that was a lot of fun i'm amped up for the draft jeff i know you are too and by what you just said analyzing the Orioles' schedule this year potentially you've already bought your kumar rocker jersey for uh <laughs> for when he debuts at camden yards in 2023 well i'm pretty excited about kumar rocker especially ben mcdonald oh yeah like who joined us on the podcast he has seen kumar rocker uh a few times and and he knows what he brings to the table so hearing ben's perspective uh, not only on Kumar, but on some of the different players that are that are available. That's another uh, must-listen on, on our Orioles Magic Podcast. And he loves Austin Martin. Uh, no question about that. Special talent, special athlete. Uh, Jeff, that was fun. We'll do it again soon. Thanks for being with us on this edition, this special edition of Orioles Magic, the podcast presented by Miller Lite.